Oh. Somebody didn't quite make the turn in the hallway. I'm, I'm sure we'll hear about that. So um, we're up, up <laughs> this morning to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, a, uh, a well-known passage. So um, uh, as you turn in your Bibles or to your uh, bulletin, it'll also be up on uh, the screens behind me. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, this is God's word. And we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So, um, this is a great story of Jesus going back to his home village and preaching to the folks back home. Now, if we just stop with this text right here, you would think, okay, this is a great story. Everybody, it went well. But the end of this story is the mob, the people in the synagogue become a mob and try to throw him off a cliff because of what he said. (laughs) What a great uh, sermon, what a great thing when you came back to your <coughs> friends and family who you were raised with, right? Um, my first year in seminary, I was invited to go back and preach at our home church. <coughs> and um, it was a great, <clears throat> great opportunity, you know, as a, a first year seminary student, you know, uh, it was their honor to have me. And uh, uh <laughs> So uh, what made this even better was our church at the time was engaged in a historic church split. And I mean historic. You can go back and read about the records of it and our denominations, uh, decisions and judicial decisions and that kind of stuff. And it was so bad that the church leaders in the end said, you know what, we cannot solve this. So what we want you to do is one group decide, you, you, the two groups need to negotiate, and one group will worship at one time, and the other group will worship at another time, and you need to make sure that there's enough time in between them that you don't see each other, because a fight might break out in the parking lot. Split the baby, right? Um, so into this situation, I was going to preach my sermon Um, And of course, you know, as a first-year seminary student, I knew what was wrong, and I knew what they needed to do. And so I told them in my sermon, very clear, it was an awesome sermon. (laughs) Over the years, one of the things that you get used to when you you preach is, you know, there's the the people who are like this, (laughs) the people who are like this. 
the people who are like this, right? And I've kind of grown used to that, frankly. You know what? Big deal. Uh, what I've never grown used to is the people that are doing this. <laughs> so there's a very powerful woman, a mentor to my wife, and right in the middle of the church the whole time I preached that sermon. And so the next week I got a call from the stated clerk of our presbytery and he told me I was never to preach there again. <laughs> Which was probably a good thing for everybody involved. Jesus has uh, begun his public ministry and he is having great impact in and around the, the city of Capernaum. And he goes back to Nazareth on a Sabbath day to preach in front of his uh, his hometown crowd, and uh, it's it's a it's a remarkable thing. He goes in there, and he he knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly which text he's going to preach from. He it, apparently he's already prepared the the uh, synagogue attendant to have the scroll of Isaiah ready for him, and he gets it and he unrolls it and he uh, reads to them the passage from Isaiah sixty one. The problem with this is. Um, what Isaiah 61 says and what Jesus said are not the same. He adds some things, he leads some things out. So we have to look at that because that kind of gives us a little bit of a clue about what it is that is, uh, is going on here. So Brian, put, put my notes up there. So Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, that those things are exactly the same. But what you have to see about this, what's going on with this, when Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me, he's saying to his hometown crowd, hey folks, listen, I am the Messiah. It's me. What you've been waiting for, what the nation's been waiting for all these centuries, it's me and I'm right here. Now, I would imagine as soon as he read this to the people, given the fact that he had come from Capernaum, some, some news had come about him, the, the great things that he was doing, the powerful ministry that he had, I would imagine that the people there in Nazareth are like, yes, it's the Messiah. And not only is it the Messiah, but he's one of our boys. So when he gets to be king, we'll get some great infrastructure projects in our village, right? They'll spend some tax dollars on us. We'll bring the bacon home. I guess you can't bring the bacon home and there, but whatever. You know, this is going to be awesome for us. We know the Messiah. We grew up with him. He was in our Sunday school class. This is going to be great. So he reads that first verse and they're like, oh, this is awesome. It goes on to say, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then he takes a verse from Isaiah 58 and throws it in the middle here, where he says, and recovering of sight to the blind. I don't see that in Isaiah 61. To further indicate to the people that he's the Messiah, 
He says to them, I'm here not only to do these things that Isaiah says in Isaiah 61 that the Messiah is going to do, but because so you will know that I am the Son of God, I will give sight to the blind. Now, why that? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, there were prophets and powerful men who were able to do some pretty incredible things, even raise the dead. But no one in the Old Testament had ever taken a blind person and given them sight. This was a unique thing. And so only, only God could do that. And so when Jesus says, and when he adds this verse in here from Isaiah 58 to say the sight to the blind, he's further indicating to the people, hey, the Messiah is here. The kingdom of God has come. All, all of the promises of God are about to be fulfilled and brought to bear right here, right now. But the problem with this is, so after Jesus is in recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, yes, we're oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back. Well, he didn't say the next line. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of Ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. Why would you need to build up the ancient ruins? Because for centuries, the Gentiles had oppressed these people and were living among them and and had destroyed much of their cities, right? Uh, they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastation of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vinedress. Let me read that again. Wait, go back. You, you, you're going to miss this. This is, this, is, this is important. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and winedressers. Hmm. Hmm. This, hmm. Hmm. Jesus left that out too. Next slide, please, Brian. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord, and they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. So, what's happening here? Why is Jesus declaring to the people, his people, you know, the people he grew up with in his hometown village, Hey, I am the Messiah, and today this text, this promise of the Messiah from Isaiah 61, I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to tell you it's been fulfilled in your sight, and what happens here is he does it in such a way that only ends up making people angry. Well, here's the thing. Here's the problem, right? So if if you're oppressed, and these people were oppressed, and you're oppressed by Gentiles, when you read this text about the coming of the Messiah, what do you think? When the Messiah comes, he's going to be about vengeance. When the Messiah comes, he is going to undo these people. And so what happens here is what Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, and the people begin to hear this, and they think, well, if you're the Messiah, we want a better one. We would never throw Jesus off a cliff, would we? Would we? Nah. Nah. As long as he did what I wanted him to do. Right. So to get a sense of what's going on here and why the things flip so much in this in this text, we need to read the rest of what Luke tells us. 
Because here's, here's where we go, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. People in, 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 in Nazareth would have loved to hear Jesus preach on these next verses. Go, go, Brian. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Eat the wealth of nations. Man, you are going to be the top dog and all these people who have been keeping you down for so long. When the Messiah comes, he's going to destroy them. Yes! Preach it, Jesus. Bring it. Right? So we keep reading in the text here, and it says, and all, our, the ESV says, and all spoke well of him. And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Okay, go, go back, Brian. Now, it, it, this is a very confusing text. If, if everybody's speaking well of, of him, and Jesus immediately says to them, doubtless you're going to say to me, physician, heal yourself. It's a better translation of that. I could, I could get into this. This is a dative of disadvantage. Those of you who are gram, grammarians, there was a grammarian at the earlier service, and uh, we had a discussion about the dative of <laughs> dative. You're probably thinking about going out to dinner with somebody. That's a, anyway, it's a gr- grammar word. Anyway, it's a dative of disadvantage. What really they're saying is they're witnessing against him. They're not speaking well of him. They're speaking poorly of him. He's made them mad. And what made him mad? The gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now, who could be angry at gracious words? Well, I can tell you who will be angry. Because if you're gracious to the wrong people, you make people mad. If God's gracious to the wrong people, it makes people mad. Don't you get mad when God's kind and blesses the people that you don't like, that don't deserve it, right? I do it all the time. And I, I'm, I'm certain if God would just confer with me about who needs to be blessed and who needs to be zapped, this world would run so much more smoothly. I fully understand the way this is supposed to work, right? And they said... Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. That's why I've never gone back to do ministry in Charlotte, North Carolina. I would not be acceptable there. Too, too many people know me. Too many people grew up with me. Um, yeah. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Wait, now what, what is happening here? So Jesus is saying to them, listen, I know you don't like what I'm saying, but you know what? I'm going to amp it up even more. You don't like what I'm saying? Now I'm going to make you really mad because I'm going to put my finger on your self-righteousness. And I'm going to put my finger on your self-righteousness right where you feel the most justified and the most righteous because you know what justice is and you are ready and set and able to tell everybody else what justice is. In fact, you're ready to tell God what justice is. Now listen, 
We should work for justice. There's no doubt about that. And we should proclaim freedom, the freedom of the gospel. But we have to be very careful about this. And we have to be very careful about what we, the way in which we approach this because what Jesus is doing is he is saying those people that you want judged, those people that you want my vengeance on, he's speaking kindly and gently and gracious to them, right? But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Remember Elijah? He prays that there'll be no rain and it doesn't rain for over three years. A famine breaks out in the land. And God sends Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them. None of the, none of the good people. None of the good widows. None of the widows who are the righteous widows. But instead, he sent Elijah to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Bad place. Next to the Philistines. To a woman who was a widow. So not only is he, Jesus, like amping it up here saying, listen, you think, you know, you're something, but, you know, God looks at this and, and there are plenty of widows back then just like you, but, but God sent Elijah to an outsider, someone you hate, someone who oppresses you. He's really amping it up because his first example in his sermon is a woman is a Gentile woman. And saying that God blessed a Gentile woman before he blessed a, a Jewish woman. Now you begin to see how, how Jesus is like, I'm, I'm going to pick at you, you know. And then he goes on. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So God was being gracious, being merciful, to a Syrian, not only to a Syrian, but a Syrian general. He was the, he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Syrian uh, military. He, he was right next to the king, and God healed him. He was gracious to him. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Remember that lady that was doing this? They're not doing that. They're looking around for sticks and rocks to do some damage here. They've, they've had it. Because if this is the Messiah, we need a better one. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, one of the things that I think is profound about this and one of the reasons why I believe this is we're probably angriest at the people we know the best, right? Right, so these these are Jesus's people. They are his friends, the people he grew up with. And so, what what might be true of them is that, of course, they're going to react with with anger. And so, one of the things that I think this text tells us today, and how we might apply the work of Christ in our lives, is what makes you really angry? What makes you really angry? What really sets you off? Right. Um. And then, and, and when you're ready to, to, cast, uh, uh, to cast judgment upon someone else, who gets to decide who deserves judgment and who gets grace? Right? Because frankly, in, in my world, I, I know who, uh, um, 
who, who the righteous people are and who the unrighteous people are. We should work for justice. But we must be careful that, uh, next slide, Brian, that we submit uh, our justice uh, to God. Thoughtful justice advocates know that the justice of God must judge the justice for which they strive. Would you be willing to do that? One of the ways that you can tell whether the gospel is taking root in your life, and one of the ways you can tell that uh, you are going to be effective in bringing about God's justice in the world is what is your desire? Is Is your desire simply for justice and for the guilty to be punished, or is for your, your desire for the guilty to be changed? Is your desire for uh, uh, the, the one who uh, you hate and who might hate you to be renewed, restored, forgiven, changed? It's not simply cast aside. You see, if the cross means anything, if the work of Jesus means anything at all to us, what it means is that no one, even the one who oppresses us, can be beyond the pale of the work of the gospel, can be beyond the pale of the work of Jesus Christ. The cross is big enough. What Jesus did when he died to make atonement is he died to make atonement for the biggest sinner on the planet. When he died to make atonement, he did it for those who we would think don't deserve it, shouldn't deserve it, And if God was just at all, would never extend grace to them ever. And yet God's in the business of changing the grossest, ugliest person among us and making them lovely, right? And so when Jesus comes and he speaks words of grace, he's speaking words of grace, not to those that we deem the deserving, but to the undeserving. And so his ministry is marked off right here from the very beginning as a a challenge, right? We need to protest, and we need to work for justice. But our protest must always be driven by our desire and our work to profess Jesus as the center of what God is doing in the world to change people. Years ago, uh, there was a friend of mine, uh, a dear friend of mine, who was uh, virulently racist. And he was at work one day, uh, and uh, while he was at work, uh, he was taking a lunch break, and he was studying some flashcards for an evangelism training program that we were doing at our church. And an African-American man came in and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm studying this course at my church, and my homework this week is to tell somebody about what Jesus has done in my life. And so this man flops down in the chair across the table from him and says, well, tell me. (laughs) Well, you know, my friend was uh, astute enough to know that uh, this was something that God was doing and he needed to pay attention. And so he shared with this man his testimony. And the man said, you know what? I want that. 
I want that. Now, what's funny to me about that story is there was one person sharing the gospel who felt like the person he was sharing the gospel with was unworthy. But the one who was sharing the gospel was the one who was unworthy. And yet Jesus used that in both their lives and changed them as a result of that. I'm right. I know what's best. I know what justice is. And if God will just let me, I'll tell him. And he will correct you. And he will correct me. And he will punish those that I deem deserving of punishment. But what the gospel tells us is, is that the vengeance of God certainly gets met out. But for me and for you, the vengeance of God rests upon our sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's use this prayer of confession that is uh, printed uh, in our bulletin, also up on the screens uh, behind me. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, words, and deeds. You have spoken definitively by your Son. Forgive us for living as if you never act, never hear, never speak. Forgive us for the vigilante justice we pursue through our plotting, slander, gossip, and self-righteous anger. Forgive us for living as if you do not care for us. Forgive us and cleanse us. Fill us with your spirit that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Believer, hear the good news. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law 
of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. 